Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Episode 8 on Business Owners Radio. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the rising volume of business email scams. Shai will be telling us about a recent business fraud incident involving one of his clients being defrauded of $50,000. We'll also address how you can prevent yourself as a business owner and your company from being a victim of this growing business-focused scam. Good morning, Shai. Good morning, Craig. So, Shai, I understand one of your clients had a rather intense fraud situation last week. What happened? Yeah, well, actually, last week was the conclusion of an ongoing situation that they've been dealing with for almost four months now. This client of mine is in the transportation business, and they ship items all over the world, and they transfer large amounts of money on a regular basis. Well, what had happened was, late on a Friday afternoon, their controller got an email from the CEO, and the CEO said, hey, I'm very busy, I'm in a meeting I need you to send an urgent wire, and it was in the neighborhood of $50,000. And the controller received that message and, of course, immediately went to work to try to get the wire sent. And, you know, they exchanged emails for about 15 minutes or so. There was a little bit of back and forth. What do you want me to do with the wire, et cetera? And at the end of the day, the controller ended up sending the money to the account as directed by the CEO. So the controller sent the wire, as she does many times a day, and she did it using their encrypted portal that they use through one of the major banks here in the United States. Well, the next morning, it was a Saturday morning, she was concerned as to what ended up happening if the wire got there okay because she hadn't heard anything back. So she actually called the CEO and said, hey, uh, I'm just checking on that wire that we sent yesterday. Did everything go through okay? What do you think the CEO said? Uh, Something like, what are we talking about? Yeah, yeah, that sinking feeling. Oh, my God, what wire? And they very quickly realized that it was fraud. The hackers had actually infiltrated his email account, and they set up a filter within the email account so automatically all of the emails from the controller would bypass his email address and go directly to the trash and be marked as red. (laughs) So they're having this discussion, or at least she thinks they're having this discussion, and meanwhile, he has no idea that this is even going on. And they're dialoguing directly with her? Yeah, the fraudsters are actually posing as the CEO, going back and forth with her about these instructions of how to urgently send the wire. Nicely sophisticated. It's actually a really, really big problem. The way that the fraudsters do this is they actually look at your email and they pick up all the nuances of how you communicate. So, for instance, the controller's name was Jennifer. They used Jen because the CEO always calls her Jen. Mm, And so it was very casual and very realistic. And it had a lot of traits that it turns out are a very similar part of this email fraud scam that's been going on for quite a while. Bye. Very clever, very refined. Obviously, they've been monitoring the email for some time to get a profile of these two. 
Yeah, it's hard to say how long they've been doing it for, but this is just the beginning of the story. So obviously when they get this phone call, they're freaking out, right? Because they just realized that somebody essentially stole $50,000 from the company and that they both authorized it. (laughs) I mean, sort of. So picture this. It's a Saturday morning. The first thing that the CEO does is he happens to have a debit card to the account that he never uses, by the way, just happened to have the card there for the checking account. So he flips it over and calls the 800 number on the back of that card and they get a hold of an agent at the bank and they explain the situation. He has the controller conferenced in and the agent says, hey, not to worry. This happens all the time. We completely know how to handle this and walks them through, gets all of their information as to what happened, writes it down, gives them a confirmation number. And the controller says, well, hey, do we need to report this to the other bank where the money was sent? Or do we need to report this to the police or the FBI? And the agent from the bank says, oh, no, we handle all of that on this end. We have a whole fraud department that deals with that. So what you need to do is just sit tight. The money will be back in your account within five business days. And if you have any questions, you can give us a call. I would probably call on Tuesday just to get an update on the progress if you haven't heard back from us. That's amazing that they treated this almost like standard business. The statement of this happens all the time. It's like that sounds rather casual. Yeah, that's discouraging. I mean, for something that happens all the time. You'd think that there would be more information front and center. It certainly pushed out to businesses that have banking accounts, which are pretty much all businesses. So, yeah. So they've got a case number and a recording of that session. Yeah, they have the case number at this point. And what ends up happening is the controller, who, as you imagine, just felt awful that she had been duped. She went ahead and called the other bank anyway, even though they told her she didn't have to. Mm-hmm. And she recorded her conversation with the other bank and made notes of it. The agent at the receiving bank was rather dismissive, actually, and said, well, you know, there's nothing I can do about that. If you sent the wire, you sent the wire. And, you know, the controller insisted, look, I'm telling you it was a fraudulent wire and you're going to get a request for that money back. So it's your decision whether or not you want to release it. But of course, let's be real. You're talking to somebody in a call center on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. So they're not intimately involved with the process at the bank of how the wire is going to get actually processed in the system. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't hear anything on Monday. They try to call late in the day. They finally get a hold of someone on Tuesday. On Tuesday, controller says, yeah, I'm just trying to get an update. And the banking agent that she talks to says... I can't find your case number anywhere in our system. The floor drops out. For the second time. Oh, man. (laughs) Right? The first time was the what wire, and now it's what confirmation number. We don't have a confirmation number. Jeez. This this is a major bank. This is a major bank. This is a major business. They have over 12 million top line. They've been in business 10 years. Been doing business with the same bank 10 years. They represent the best practices, the best processes in the industry. Yeah, they typically do a very good job. It's a very sound business, very competent, Mm -hmm. uh, controller, experienced. Yeah, so we have no record (laughs) of your confirmation number. So you can imagine now the panic that ensues. I'm sure they said, have a nice day, right? I believe they did, yeah. And then they sent them like a lovely... uh, 
I don't know, clock radio or something. What did they used to send us that when we signed up a toaster? Anyway, so as you might imagine, the CEO gets on the phone and starts escalating. And they do their best to escalate this throughout the bank. What ensues is about a six-week goat rope of them trying to get the right people on the phone, phone calls with attorneys. And when they finally are able to get to the director of fraud, he says, here's our position on this case. You requested the wire. You did it through the protocols that we've established. You used an encrypted key through our portal, which is authorized. And you had an authorized user, your controller, request the wire. And basically what you did is you moved cash from one bank to another bank using our system that we facilitated. We have no way of knowing that that was a fraudulent request. It's your responsibility, period. Right against the wall. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, I mean, let's forget how awfully the whole thing was handled. You can see the bank's logic in taking that position. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think taken by itself that, that that's a particularly onerous position mm -hmm. i mean it's really not their fault mm -hmm. how it happened however however we do have this slight problem right saturday what happened saturday yeah let's go back to that so there's this case number that nobody can find and as you mentioned craig there should be a recording of that somewhere well this is what they started pushing for so their attorney advised them to get that recording the attorney said, that's the only thing that's going to save your, your bacon here. So they pushed really hard to get the recording, but of course, nobody could find it. That was the story the bank was telling them. Well, in the meantime, they tried to get their banking representative involved. And this is one of the most depressing parts. You know, their banking representative, you know, that person that shows up once every 12 to 18 months and says, how are you doing? And then tries to upsell you on some new services. If you're lucky, <laughs> if you're if you're lucky, you know, you know, that guy or that woman. So and that's who, that's who they called when they had a problem. Sure. Yeah. They got zero service, just zero service at all. Just more pencil pushing a few emails that were sent back and forth saying, "Ooh, gee, I'll look into this. And then an email shrug saying, "Ooh, I don't know. You guys did request a wire. I mean, fraud's telling me, yeah, I'm really sorry. I, I don't know anything about how we get our recordings or how our claim systems work. So, yeah, I just don't know really what you would do about that. I'm really sorry that happened. $50,000 later. Yeah, 50 Gs later. Sorry about that. Well, it turns out that there was another relationship that they had with a very important member of their administrative team, an outsourced member nonetheless, but it was their insurance agent. Obviously, they went to see if they had if they were covered in their policy. And this is another really important note. It turns out that most business insurance policies do not cover this kind of fraud. It's particularly excluded. And they were not covered for this kind of event. Their agent realized how awful the situation was and actually pushed the insurance company to cover them under another clause that they had, which had to do with employee theft. And even though this wasn't intentional employee theft, and guess what? They actually did that. They paid them about 40% of the loss under another part of their insurance policy. So I bring this up because, you know, Craig, we have I'm thinking back to our episode with Johnny Lane and talking about banking and how banking is changing and how important different kinds of relationships are. And we talk about having a good relationship with a strong attorney that knows your business and having an accountant, tax advisor, 
And, you know, sometimes we undervalue the insurance agents and how much help they can actually be in situations like this. It's one of those things that you don't know what you don't know until you really need it. Yeah. Uh, Insurance can provide amazingly wide capabilities to a business. However, you got to read it. How many policies do we get and we put it in the drawer? Oh, yeah. I'm the worst at that. (laughs) I I am the worst at that. When the insurance policy comes, it's 100 pages. My brain does. uh, (laughs) My brother-in-law says Homer Simpson brain. (laughs) You know, the brain the brain jumps out of your head and just runs across the counter. You know, that's what mine does. As soon as I see any any kind of document that big, I'm like, I don't want somebody read this to me. I don't know. So, you know, I really like to teach business owners to think of not so much the word insurance, but really think about risk management. That's a huge part of your risk management team. And in this case, they got them covered for something that they didn't even have. So most people at this point would just stop here and say, you know, we've got to just cut our losses and just be happy we got a little bit of money back. In this case, though, they had put out a lot of feelers trying to see where they could get help from. And believe it or not, there was a family connection that had a very close family friend who happened to be a senior executive at this bank. And it turns out that once they were contacted, they were very upset with how this was handled. And luckily, the controller had kept really good records of every single phone call and every transaction that had happened up until this point. So the senior exec escalates this thing. And it turns out that internally, they found the recording. Voila. Yeah. Amazing. What happened was the senior executive team listened to this recording. (laughs) And uh, yeah. And so guess what? Our hero, this business, gets a phone call back from the senior resolution specialist who says, hey, we listened to your recording. You're going to get all your money back. Huge. Two weeks later, 100% of that money was wired directly back into their account. Wow. Yeah. So completely dodged a bullet, but not by much. You know, very, very close call. So, you know, there's a lot of lessons here, and we should talk about a few of them. The takeaways right on the top is checking your cyber insurance right away, That the action item today. Really pull out that insurance policy or call your insurance agent and check what's our level of cyber insurance. What's our level of insurance for fraud? Make sure you know exactly what you've got and maybe what you need. The other is uh, having processes in place, and we'll get into that in a minute since I'm looking at some of my FBI data. There's some processes that could be put in place to really minimize this issue. When it comes to fraud insurance, uh, this is something that, even though it's been going on for a while, the insurance companies are still having a hard time figuring out how to underwrite this, especially for different size businesses. And they are able to do it, but you have to ask for it. In almost all cases, you're going to have to ask for it. I am sure that 90% of the listeners right now Uh, The business owners out there, if you pull out your policy, you will likely find that you are not covered for this kind of fraud. And it's not as expensive as you might think. This client of mine was able to get almost a quarter million dollars in coverage for less than $1,000 a year. In this case, we're talking $50,000 of fraud. It could add zeros to that very easily. Well, it's funny you should say that. I actually have uh, a recent copy of CFO and Controller Alert. Hmm. And it talks about very specifically how this same exact scam defrauded a company 
for $5 million. There's that five again. <laughs> <It's> amazing. <laughs> yeah, $5 million. And what I'm seeing, reading here, is that China and Hong Kong are the largest recipients of fraudulent wire funds. Yes, and in this case, that's exactly where the money went. It went to a bank account in China. And the insurer's position was the same one that the bank took originally with my client. You know, it wasn't like someone hacked in and took over the system and initiated the wire on their own. Company employees approved and initiated the wire transfer themselves, you know, albeit mistakenly at the instruction of the hackers. I'm looking at the FBI reports for 2013, a little bit of 2014, uh, over $200 million of fraudulent email-based money transfers right out of business revenues. This is a very polished professional scam. Yes, and if you think about how expertly crafted this scam is, it's really easy to see how someone could fall into its trap. Yeah, they have the CEO and the key financial manager's names and processes because their email reflector software that they installed had already been able to track and manage their email move within the CEO and the finance manager. As you mentioned, they even had their first names or their shortened names. It was kind of interesting. Yeah, and think about it, too, where they, you know, just taking advantage of the complacency. I mean, starting with the type of company they targeted, some business owners might be thinking, this would never happen at my company because we hardly ever send any wires. It's just the type of business you have might not deal with a lot of wire transactions. And chances are, if you're in that situation, you are less likely to be a victim of this fraud, although it's not impossible. And make no mistake, there are other scams coming your way, <laughs> coming soon to a business near you. But, but in this case, you know, they target businesses that typically send large amounts of money on a regular basis because they take advantage of the complacency of that. You're used to it. It's not unusual. That was not an unusual sum of money for them. Yeah, I'm looking at the FBI listing of how do they do this? And that's number two. They target high volume money flow businesses. Those are typically businesses that are dealing with large movements of money to place suppliers or subcontractors. The number one issue that the FBI has is many businesses are using open source email. Things like Yahoo Mail and AOL and Hotmail. I see this all the time where the CEO of the companies have these email accounts. It's amazing. And these things have been documented over and over again as being the highest breakage rate in the industry. And even if you have Google Apps, which has become a, you know, a pretty robust way that a lot of small businesses manage their email, if you're not using good protocol for passwords and authentication, you're still leaving yourselves wide open. Absolutely. Another area that they're focusing on, what they're seeing with these emails that are opened by employees. It all starts with the hardware side and the keyboard. Key phrases like uh, key to admin expenses or phrases like urgent wire transfer. Remember, once they have their software in your email, they now know the key business players and the key clients and suppliers the business uses. They're watching this for weeks, months at a time to get a good profile of that business and their operations. They're scripting out an urgent email sequence, during, and they're also using time. 
as Shai mentioned, this was done on a weekend when the right people aren't around in the office at that particular time or they're out on vacation. They're watching for this. Oh, yeah. Well, think about it. You're the controller. It's late in the day Friday and that email comes and, oh, my gosh, it's an urgent wire and has a very legitimate reason. And by the way, if they're in your email, chances are they can see your calendar, too. So they may know that you have a scheduled event that you're at or someplace you are where, where they can they will play right into that information as well. Gee, I'm really tied up in this meeting, but you have to send this right away. It's a very important account. So where do we go? How do we prevent this? I would say is, is first of all, just getting the word out to everyone in your business that's involved, all of your employees, that this kind of fraud exists, that it's very real, and that they need to keep their guard up for any strange or suspicious emails, especially people that are involved in handling your finance. This business, one of the things that they did right away after this happened is they immediately instituted a very low-cost policy, which is, guess what? We're not sending any wires without verbal confirmation, period. So even though they send many wires a day, they still keep an email record of those wire requests, but every one of them has to have a verbal confirmation. And so that's going to reduce your risk considerably just by doing that. With minimum impact to the processes and systems within the company. Another one is use secure business email with fraud detection, identification capabilities. Have levels of checkpoints and verifications on payments, especially urgent ones. Again, the fraud seekers wait until the end of the day or on weekends or holidays to enact these frauds. And we're really in an environment where BYOD, bring your own device, you know, this is the greatest challenge now that we're all facing in business in terms of managing information and systems and risk. Employees are bringing all different kinds of devices at work, and we're trying to find ways for them to interact with those devices, and they all pose a security risk. So having this two-step authentication at least ensures that these logins are happening from the appropriate devices. So as business owners, we want to address with many key members of our operations to make sure that we have processes and procedures in place and full awareness training, and of course, double-check on your insurance to make sure that you have adequate cyber-based fraud coverage. Well, that wraps up our discussion on business email fraud. You can learn more on how to protect yourself in the show notes, and we'll also have a link to the FBI advisory on business email money transfer fraud at businessownersradio.com. Have a great week. joining us on business owners radio we hope you enjoyed today's show as always you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website businessownersradio.com we want to hear your feedback please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes tell your fellow business owners about the show and of course we would love the stars and comments on itunes till next time keep taking care of business